May we open our Bibles to the first chapter of the Gospel according to John. And I wish to take uh, the words from the 14th verse. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The entire 14th verse reads, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. In my last message, I sought to develop for you the teaching of the Scriptures on the subject of the Incarnation. Why did God become a baby? We answered that on the basis of revelation. In this message, we want to go a step further and ask the question, how was the deity which was in Christ manifested so that others could see it? Nobody denies that he's a man. In fact, there are very few men around anywhere today that deny that anybody by the name of Jesus Christ ever lived. The fact that there was a person on this earth about 2,000 years ago in the Middle East there in the land of Palestine by the name of Jesus Christ is, is accepted. There, were, there was a time in the last century where there were some critics who denied that any such person was here, but not any longer. There was on this earth, the same earth that you and I are committed to and bound down to, an individual. He was here. He lived. He actually walked around and he was a man. Nobody's ever suggested that he was anything else but a man. He looked like a man, he talked like a man, he walked like a man, he wasn't some kind of a, an animal or a baboon or a monkey or a, some exhibit from a zoo or anything like that. He was a man. And he had a tremendous impact upon his community and upon the area in which he lived. And he was also put to death. He was crucified. These are facts. But uh, the teaching of the Bible is that God sent him and God sent him as his only begotten son and God sent him as the second person of the Trinity. And as such, he was both man and God. Those of us who've come to believe in him and trust him and have been saved and have a new heart and a new nature, we can understand. We believe what the Bible says. But I want to look at this question as to how it was evident. How, how was it manifest? That deity was in him. John says, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. John says, we saw him. We were able to behold that it was the glory of God that was in him. And in the 18th verse, if you'll notice here of this first chapter of John, he says, No man hath seen God at any time. 
the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And Jesus Christ was here for the purpose of declaring God. He was here to manifest and to reveal and to make known the almighty God. And in the 14th chapter of John, he said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And have I been so long time with, the, with ye, Philip? And hast thou not known me? Here I am. I've been with you. Don't you see when you are with me and watch my activities and notice the things I do? Don't you recognize that God is here and that I am deity? Philip, have I been here all this time and you're not aware yet of this matter? John, the beloved disciple, opens his great epistle here by taking us back to the beginnings of creation. He takes us back before creation, before anything was brought into being by the power of God. Back there when there was only deity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he says, in that beginning, wherever you want to begin, no matter how far you go back, the Word was there and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And we are confronted with this tremendous representation that God became man and his glory was beheld and men saw and recognized him as God. As I came over tonight to speak to the young people and was driving down the avenue just above me in the heavens was a full moon, a perfect full moon. A winter month. And it's thrilled the hearts of millions of people tonight as they looked up. And I thought of folks in India and Africa where they go by the moonlight. But the thought that came to my mind was what I've been thinking this week in connection with this message as I've been turning it over and planning it for you. That moon is going around this little earth. Nobody disputes that anymore. And then this earth plus the moon that goes around it is going around the sun. And it takes us one year to go around the sun. And it takes the moon, uh, well it doesn't take it so long to go around us. But the moon's going around us and the moon plus us is going around the sun. And then in this same order of which we're a part, we've got a few more other planets out here that are made of apparently similar substances to this one. One is Mars, and it's going around. It has some more moons. We've got Jupiter, we've got Venus, we've got Saturn. And you've got these different planets that are going around the sun, and we call it a solar system. Here's the sun, which is the heart of the solus, the solar here, the sun. And there are these different planets going around it at different angles, different uh, circumferences out here. And as they turn, their days and their nights vary from ours, but we turn at a certain speed and we have the moon. And so we have the blessing of the sunlight, we have the blessings of the moonlight, which is the reflection of the sun. And we all know that's going on. We all know it. And then outside of our little solar system, uh, we are told by the astronomers and the physicists and the others who study these things that we move on out and we have millions of suns just like the one we have. We just have one here, and we're all going around that, but out here you've got millions of the same thing, and they have solar systems, and it's utterly impossible to calculate or to estimate the number of uh, 
stars that there are in the heavens that are reflecting the lights from these various systems. And furthermore, we've gone and gone and gone and we get the latest of the telescopes, the most powerful of all, and still we can't find the beginning of space. It's impossible to get out there far enough to find out where this space starts. And man just goes and goes and goes and goes and there's no limit to it. There just absolutely is no bounds to it. And when we get out there, the Apostle John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and by him all things that are were created. And he is before all things. And by all things, everything is held together by him. And do you mean to say that the creator of the solar system and all the solar systems and all the space and all the expanse of all the heavens and everything that's here in all the fullness of God, that the one who did that came down here and was born of a baby and that he manifested God so that people could see him while they walked around on this little earth? And the answer is yes. Emphatically yes. Oh, I've said over and over again, I want you young people, I want you girls, I want you boys to understand that if you're going to accept the Christian religion and you're going to be born again and accept the power of the gospel in your lives, then you must accept everything that the supernatural includes and everything that the supernatural has done. And what a delight it is to figure out that on this little old earth you're deposited down here in this little place and we're going around this old sun and the moon. He's coming up on schedule all the time and out there's the old sun and the other, other stars that are part of our system and then way beyond in all eternity here sits Jesus Christ with all power in the heavens in his hands and all the power on the earth in his keeping and he's the one who has control and he's the one who became a man to redeem us from our sins and you and I are linked with the very heart of the universe. You and I are tied in with Jesus Christ and what's our little troubles with WXUR? They'll work out. What's our little troubles with uh, the Congress Hall? We'll get the money. Don't worry that God who created the universe came down here into this old world where sin abounded and he entered into this circumstances in which we find ourselves in order that he might deliver us, in order that he might change the course of all the judgments of God that had been pronounced upon sin, in order that this Savior of ours might give us a new heavens where there will dwell righteousness in the skies and a new earth where there will be peace among men of goodwill. And tonight, the God of the universe came down to Bethlehem's manger and he was incarnate in the virgin's well. And he was God manifest in the flesh. And John says, we beheld his glory. We were able to see it. We were able to recognize that deity that was in him. And when we saw it, we knew that here was grace from God. Here was truth from God. The word was made flesh. The second person of the Trinity became flesh and he dwelt here on this earth amongst us. And he 
was full of grace. Grace and truth. He said, I am the truth. And he came with all of creation in his hand. He came with all the purposes of eternity at his command. He came down here to this whole world that he might lift us up out of sin and death and make us his sons and daughters by his almighty power. Now before I go to develop this and give you point by point as I propose to do, I want to say that John says, we beheld. We. John was a witness of these things. John was in a position where when I talk about deity being incarnate, I want to tell you I'm a witness of it and I saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ. John was a witness. Will you turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1? And here's Peter, the spokesman for the twelve. And he was the leader of the twelve apostles. And in this second chapter of, the first chapter of his second epistle, the apostle deals with these very matters so far as he is witness is concerned. And in verse 15 of chapter 1 he says, Moreover I will endeavor that after, that ye may be able after my, I'm dead or my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we, we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his what? Majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and this voice which came from heaven, we, we heard. And when, when we were with him in the holy mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of private interpretation. Peter says, I'm going to leave this with you. I'm going to write these things down for you because I'm going to be leaving pretty soon. My death will be upon me. But I want you to have the record of what I am a witness to. We were witnesses of his majesty. We heard the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And John, the beloved disciple, says, We beheld his glory. And, beloved, one of the conditions for the electing of a replacement for Judas, the twelfth disciple, was that whoever was elected and chosen needed to be a witness with them from the beginning. Jesus Christ said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Jesus Christ manifested himself so that his disciples could see him and they would know who he is and believe me, beloved, when he said to Philip, have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me? Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Surely our Lord was distressed. Now with this tremendous emphasis upon the eyewitness evidence, Upon the fact that here's Peter, here's John, here's all the disciples, witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn now 
and look at the specifics. Let's get down to particular instances and how in the contact which they had with him, how as observers and companions in his ministry did these disciples recognize deity in Jesus Christ. All right, now let's just turn to the Gospel of John for a few moments together. And in the first chapter, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus manifested what we call in the Bible the attributes, these powers that belong to God. And one of the great attributes of God is omniscience. He has all knowledge. Now, I don't know how far it was from where Jesus was to the fig tree under which Nathaniel was dwelling. I don't know how far that was, but it must have been some considerable distance. And with all the hilly country you have over there, how could anybody know except he had information given to him by some source, such as deity, details of that circumstance. And here you have this breakthrough, here you have the, these manifestations about him, and when Nathaniel saw that the Lord said, you were under the fig tree, I saw you there, and then said, heaven's going to open, the angels are going to come back and forth and go up and down on you, and all this is going to be manifest, it was just too much for Nathaniel. He says, oh Lord, I says, you are the Son of God. That's the way he put it. All right, will you turn with me, please, a little further over into the third chapter. And in the third chapter of John, verse 31, here we have John the Baptist, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthy and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifies. And no man receive his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. And if you want to put it a little more emphatic, he that hath received his testimony is that this one is the true God. This one who's speaking to us. His seal is here. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. And here, beloved, the apostle is telling us 
that Jesus Christ has been sent. He speaks the word of God and anyone who will listen to him will have the testimony that God is true and that the true God has come down to us and here he is manifesting himself and he is doing it by means of delivering to us the word, the word. Oh, beloved, the words which he spake, he said, are not my own. They are life. They are spirit. And the very fact that he spoke in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if you could just sit there and listen to him speak, if you could have listened to him deliver the Sermon on the Mount, if you could have listened to him speak time and time again, the words which he came, they came from his lips. They weren't his. The Father had sent him. And the Father had delivered everything into his hand. And he knew everything there was to know about God. He was in a position to reveal what the people wanted to know about God. In him were all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus had them. Jesus had them. I'm going to just digress here just a moment. But it's not a digression as such. But may I tell you people that I've had the experience over and over again in my preaching. I've had it. In fact, I love to have the experience. I can get up and start preaching this Bible, and I can begin to open and expound some of the things that are in this Bible. You know what happens? I just vanish. I just evaporate. I don't exist. It's the most amazing experience. And you just evaporate. You just, you just vanish. And as you open up these scriptures and begin to open them and expound them, the Spirit of God comes in and takes possession of this truth, and when you finish, people come and say, Pastor, I enjoyed the word of God from you this morning. And I can go out in rallies and meetings and I can get up and I can preach and I can preach. I can go down to Cape May and we can have some great meetings and I can preach these messages from the Bible and the people will come to you and say, Oh, Dr. McIntyre, we never heard anything like that before. Oh, how wonderful is the word of God. What is it? You just let any man take hold of the scriptures and begin to preach them in the power of God and begin to expound the naked, clear, magnificent truth that's in this book. And you just let that happen and the Spirit of God will take possession of the minds of people who are following and the Spirit of God will be, bring cleansing and understanding and edification. And when you finish, you haven't thought of the preacher, you've thought of the Word and the one who delivered it, who is the Almighty God. And, beloved, that was the experience of those who were with Jesus. The only thing is, I have to preach the word out of a book. And I'm a man, and that's all I'll ever be, is a man sanctified. But Jesus Christ didn't have to preach the word out of a book. It came out of his mouth. The words that I speak unto you, the Father that sent me, he doeth the works. And Jesus... Talked God. Jesus spoke as God. And the very expressions, the very airing of such words were such that those who heard them said, God is true. This is the truth. And it was a glorious testimony to his deity. I don't know, you might even say that the greatest thing about his deity, I'm going to show you these other things, we, his omniscience is here, yes, we're going to see his power in a few minutes. 
But all of these things were here to bear testimony to his person. Perhaps the greatest single way in which he gave evidence that he was God was the word that he spoke. The word that he spoke. He put his seal on the Old Testament, promised the disciples he'd give them the Spirit who'd give them all the word we have. And Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God, the second person of the eternal Trinity, because he delivered unto man in the darkness of this place of sin as this little world moves on its course about the sun. He delivered unto us the message from heaven, from God. You know, when I begin to preach like this, beloved, and the word seems to take a hold of you, and you begin to preach like this, I just don't understand why we can't fill this church with people hungry for the word of God. I don't understand. Oh, the shift. Oh, the pull. Oh, the change. And oh, the heartbreak. People coming, people going, people here, all this sort of thing. Why isn't there that hungering and thirsting after righteousness that's let's go over to the house of God. The preacher's going to be there tonight. He's going to take some portion of the word of God and he's going to preach it. And let's listen to it. Let's get some blessing out of what God Almighty has delivered to us so that we may have the guidance that we need and the wisdom we want and the knowledge that we must have. All right, now let's turn over a little further. Will you turn over to the fifth chapter of John? Here are great things in these passages that deal with this matter that have long since been overlooked. Verse 20. Rather, let's take verse 19. Then answered Jesus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Every ounce of honor that you give to God, Jesus says it must be given to the Son. The worship you give to the Father is the worship you give to the Son. And one way in which the deity of Christ was manifested was that Christ demanded the same honor, the same tribute, the same recognition, the same glory, the same worship that is given to God the Father. And here is the place where he made this demand. Furthermore, he says, the Son can do nothing of himself. I've been sent down here to do certain works. And the works that I do, I'm doing them in obedience to a special order from my Father. I'm here obeying Him. He's told me what it's all about. 
It was his plan from before the foundation of the world that I should come and I would be born of a virgin. I'd come in down into this miry, slimy, filthy place which sin has wrecked and ruined and I would become a babe in Bethlehem's manger. Gabriel would announce the whole story to Mary. Everything would be prepared for my arrival and I would come in the flesh and I would grow up in a ministry of Palestine. I would be given all of his power to use it so they could see that I was here, the son of the living God. I'd work these miracles. I'd deliver the word to them. I'd make these claims concerning the work and the power of God. And then they would crucify me. They would reject me. They would nail me to the cross. They'd repudiate the faith of their fathers. They'd reject the prophets of old. And I would be put to death between two thieves on crosses. And on the third day, God, by his power, would raise me up. And then I'd manifest myself to his disciples so they could see me beyond any question by many infallible proofs. They'd bear witness to me. The eyewitnesses would be left behind. And then I'd take this little choice company of mine out to the top of the Mount of Olives. And then I'd go back to the Father. The work that I do, the Father hath told me to do. And he's told me, and I'm doing it. And I'm here carrying out the purposes of God for the redemption of a lost race that's on under his curse because of the sin of Adam. Oh, beloved, Jesus Christ came down here to do the work that the Father had given him to do. Oh, beloved, when I stand here tonight and I lay hold upon the great system of Christianity which is before us, and I think of Hinduism with all its mythology and its paganism, when I think of Mohammedanism with all of its idolatry and its filth, when I think of Shintoism with the deification of the emperor, when I think of Confucianism with all of its pantheism, when I think of all these pagan religions that Satan has manufactured, when I think of all that Satan is doing to blind the minds of man, then I come to this glorious intervention by deity and the only deity who has ever intervened. And the only deity who ever will intervene, the only deity that there is to intervene, and I see him coming according to his eternal purposes and his everlasting plan. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain in the purposes of God. And here he came in Bethlehem's manger. All heaven opened and sang of the glory of that moment when he arrived. And the shepherds went over to see what the angels had said unto them. Here he was in the temple at 12 years of age, giving the wisdom of God. Here he was opening his ministry in Jordan's valley. And here comes the dove down from heaven. This is my beloved son. And here he goes saying to Nathaniel, I saw you after under the fig tree Nathaniel I knew exactly what you were doing and here he goes with miracle after miracle the turning of the water into wine the giving of the sight to a man who was born blind he didn't have eyes in his sockets to see taking men who were bound down under physical deformities because of creation and straightening them out think of God in Christ having the power to create an eye and put it in the head of a man in an instantaneous word. Think of it as he went to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, stand up, Lazarus. I'm talking to you. I'm the son of God, Lazarus. Lazarus came out. Beloved, our faith is the true faith. Our faith is the only faith there is. 
And beloved, I want freedom in this country to preach this faith and all that it implies on the radio without having it called sectarianism and having trials by the Federal Communications Commission which will limit this kind of preaching and will, will put the gospel preaching off the air in this country. I cannot talk about this deity. I can't come into the presence of this glorious Redeemer. The fullness of all the Godhead came down here to redeem you and me. And do you mean to say we can't serve him? We can't suffer for him? We can't go a few miles to go to church so we won't worship in a church where there's apostasy and yoking up with unbelief in our day? Do you mean to say, oh, shame on you Christians tonight who stay in these modernistic churches and you say, my local church is all right. Your local church will never be all right as long as it's yoked up with unbelief. Your local church will never be all right as long as you are yoked up with unbelief that's established and is going on down the road with another religion, another program, another goal from that which Christ gave to us as the Father gave him the work to do. How do we see the deity in this person? How do we see it? Well, I've just started. I've just come up through the fifth chapter of John. Will you turn over, please, to the sixth chapter of John? I can go all the way through the Gospels here, and you'll just see these things just standing out at every turn. And in the sixth chapter of John, of course, he gives the bread. And he says, I'm the bread of life. But you turn down to the 60th verse. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself, knew in himself. He didn't hear it, but he knew they said it. Oh, beloved, you can't say anything. You can't think anything. You can't go to any place. You can't do anything that he doesn't know it. He said unto them, Does this offend you? And what if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? You think this is bad. What are you going to do when you see me decide to go up into heaven? What are you going to do when you see me just take off earth and just descend up? And what was that going to make you? Is that going to surprise you? Well, you turn over to the seventh chapter. Turn over to the seventh chapter. Well, I don't want to get into those details. Our time's running out. Let's turn clear over to the eleventh chapter. So many of these little bit. Lazarus, of course, is dead. He's been dead four days, and by this time he stinketh. Decomposition is set in, metamorphosis is set in in such a degree that there's no hope now. He's gone beyond all possibility of ever being revived. Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. There's an open tomb, a dead body. It's been dead four days. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe, believe what? What is it that they were supposed to believe? That thou hast sent me. Father, I've been talking to you. You know what I'm getting ready to do? I'm going to call Lazarus back here and put his spirit back in his body. 
and renew, recreate that body that's been going back to dust, put his lungs back in shape, put his heart beating again, get his kidneys to working, get his brain to thinking. I'm going to put all that's necessary to put that body back in shape so Lazarus can walk around here and talk like he did before he got sick. Can you imagine anything like that? Four days he's been in the grave. They even objected to rolling the stone away because of the effect of it. Jesus says, roll it away. There it was, Lazarus was wrapped up. What power under heaven can take the brain of a man that's already begun to deteriorate and the processes that are in there are, are so far gone? What possible power is it that can take the lungs of man when they've been dead four days and all this effect of the absence of life and the spirit is gone? Who could possibly take a heart? Who could possibly take the liver? Who could possibly take the kidneys? Who could possibly take all these vital organs and the other organs of our body and with one word make every one of them back again like they ought to be so they could function properly and he could be a normal human being? Who could do it? No one. Father, thou always hast heard me. And because of the people who are here, I've said it. And I'm going to bring Lazarus back so they'll see that in me thou dost dwell. That they will see that in me I am your messenger. You sent me. And Lazarus was raised from the dead in order to demonstrate that Jesus had the power of God, the power of creation in his hand. Just look at all these attributes. Omniscience, all knowledge, all power. Oh, beloved, to see this one, to be in the presence of this one, the greatest joy that will ever be yours in all eternity will be to look upon the face of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us over there in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, that in Jesus Christ, we have seen in Jesus Christ the face of the living God. That's exactly who he is. And to think that God Almighty who created the ends of all the universe came down here in the person of his son in order that it might be apparent to men on this earth that this was who he is. I recognize him just from what you tell about him here. Anybody who could do these things would have to be God. Anybody who has this kind of knowledge has to be God. Anybody who has this kind of power has to be God. Anybody who can work like this has to be God. He can't be anyone else but God. The power of resurrection is in his hand. Just as the power of creation fell from the words of his lips when he created the universe by the word of his power. Do you know what a sermon like this does to you? You love to preach it, you love to hear it. You know what it does? It just shrinks you up. Shrinks you down. You go down and down down you stand in the presence of all the grandeur and the wonder of this and you say Lord was it for me that you did all this was it necessary for you to do all this in order that I could be born again was it necessary for you to do all of this in order that I could have hope in the midst of the darkness that abounds 
Was it necessary to do all of this that I could be raised from the dead? Was it necessary for you to do all of this that I might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood? The answer is yes, yes, yes. It was absolutely necessary. If salvation could have come by the law, it would have been by the law. If salvation could have come by any other possible means, it would have been by these means. God would never have sent his son. But only by the gift of God's son who had it in his power to become a man and then to take our place and die for us, only Jesus Christ could do it. He's the only one who could do it. And you and I just shrink and shrink and shrink. And we say, not I, but Christ. And oh, what this Christmas means to us today when we have these glorious concepts of his deity manifest. Oh, I mustn't go on. We beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I saw heaven open. I, I don't want to put it this way. Maybe I shouldn't, but some of you are older people. But I understand what Paul meant. I understand more and more. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. My, I'd even let the Congress Hall go. I'd even let anything go. Folks, I would be so happy to go to see him tonight into his presence I have a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better to die is gain is gain this is what deity does for us this is what Christmas means to us and then Paul said no it's more needful for you that I abide in the flesh so I'm going to stay a while. I want to stay. I want to win the battles. I want to do these things for Christ. I want to have a place in Cape May where we'll be able to speak of this Christ and his deity and we'll be able to point men to the fact that it's only by faith in him and by faith alone that they are justified and if they'll believe on him they will be saved and then their hearts will be flooded with his peace and with his grace which will sustain them. And all you young people to whom I spoke tonight, son, we need you. You girls up here in this choir, we need you. I hope what I've said tonight hasn't gone over your head. Surely you're not that dense. Surely you're not that dumb. But I hope what I've said hasn't gone beyond you. Young lady, I want to tell you tonight, you and I have stood in the very presence of deity. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And everything that Christmas means to us is that God was manifest in the flesh. And this is the one who will help us with our problems. This is the one who hears our prayers. He's our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us. And he's everything to me. Jesus Christ is everything to us. There's no one else to whom we can go. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And so we preach and, beloved, the greatest thing that you and I are doing is getting out the gospel. The greatest thing we're doing is maintaining a church where this is being preached. The greatest thing we're doing is helping to lift up this standard in our country. 
The greatest thing we're doing is to carry the gospel to the little Koreans and around the world. We're doing these things because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this is the son whom we see in this person of Jesus. John said, these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So when I come and I preach it, the power is here. When you take it and you read it, the power is here. And it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. God has ordained that the reading of the Scriptures, but particularly, especially the preaching of the Word, is effective unto salvation. It is this Word which Christ gave from the Father to us that we have that presents to us his deity. And we believe. Oh, beloved, let's accept everything that we're entitled to as Christians. And let's dedicate our lives and ourselves in this service. Let's give everything we have to him. Let's live for him. Let's suffer for him. Let's die for him. Let's make this Christmas 1967 to be the greatest one we have ever had. May God grant. May we be used to turn others to him that they may be saved. That is our prayer. Amen.